Who is comforted by God's love? Who is comforted by God's grace? His incredible grace for us. Who is comforted by the fact that we belong to him? That we are accepted. You know, a mother's comfort for a baby when the baby's a bit upset can lull the baby to sleep. It's quite a convenient thing, really. Yes? (laughs) So a mother can comfort with its love and the baby is lulled to sleep. That's great. You know, it's the same mother that if there's a fire, her lover's going to do something else. (laughs) There's a wake-up call, isn't there? What is propelling the wake-up call? Love. Absolutely love. And you know, Jesus is exactly the same. And his love isn't meant to lull us into sleepiness. His love doesn't just rescue us from something, but is to bring us into something that compels us into the strong action. And the, the, the passage that we're starting with, <clears throat> I'll just read these first few verses. So we're starting at chapter um, 5 of Ephesians, verse 13. But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light For everything that becomes visible is light. Interesting. For this reason, it says, Awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So much power just in that. And we see this has happened, this has been spoken in light of what everything that has come before. So if you think, what is Paul unveiling in this book, in this letter to the Ephesians? What is it that would cause him to say, awake sleeper, arise from the dead, and let Christ shine on you? Is it the message that we've been rescued out of darkness? Or is there something more? There's a whole lot more, isn't there? And he wants us, he wants those that we're reading it in the first instance, to come into this revelation 
that has so changed his life and has given him direction that has propelled him so that now there is something compelling him, a forceful pursuit, a laying hold of, like Mel was talking about, the strong action as he has laid hold of us. Now we're laying hold of. So when we're awakened, we're awakened from something. The thing is that when you're asleep, you don't understand that you're asleep. You don't actually have an awareness of that. I mean, in the physical sleep, pretty much everything shuts down except a few basic senses like breathing. And you don't really hear much. You do when there's a smoke alarm. That's why it has to be so piercing. Because if a whisper was enough, it would be a whisper. But you see, when you're asleep, it has to be a piercing sound to arouse. There can be a spiritual sleepiness that produces a result. And, and very often, it's in looking at the walk of our lives, our lives, that actually shows whether, you know, where are we on this awake-asleep thing, you know? It's, it's the fruit of, because the life that he has will produce something. It will produce a kind of walk. It will produce a kind of um, purpose and accuracy in one direction. It will produce a, a redirection of our priorities and what we put our time into, what comes first, what, what always is on top. It'll, it'll produce a sight that is always first, not second. It will produce a freedom to, to walk through stuff that wouldn't be there if we're asleep. If we're asleep spiritually, we don't see spiritually. So here we're, we're talking to Christians, okay? They're not dead as in completely in the realm of darkness, okay? They've been made alive in Christ, but they're sleeping, so their life looks like they're dead. Does that make sense? So you compare a sleeping Christian, I'm talking about spiritually sleeping, with someone that doesn't know the Lord, their lives will look very similar. There's nothing to distinguish, There's no ability to, to demonstrate this overcoming life, this resurrection life on the inside. is just not there because the eyes are closed. It's what is happening when you're asleep. Your eyes are closed. Interesting that Christ will shine on you, shine light 
revelation opening eyes. They're all saying the same thing. So they don't have a clear direction. There's a stumbling around, like, what's the purpose of life? What decisions do I make? Everything's anchored in earth. It's all about what I'm doing, my function, my job, my happiness, my whatever. It's all living anchored to earth. So... Another way of describing it is everything is initiated from sight on earth and there's this cry out to heaven for God to do something about what's happening on earth. Do you see what I mean? Now, it's possible to live like that and not really understand and that's why the alarm, the awake, the arise, he has to speak from what he sees. He testifies of what he sees. And he comes from the heavenly realm. We don't. We've been born into it, but our sight can still be stuck here on earth. And so he speaks the word that will show us reality, what actually is. There's a scripture that <clears throat> talks about being asleep in Revelation 3. It's one of the um, letters to the churches. Um, so Revelation 3, 1 to 3, said, He who has, given, who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this, I know your deeds and that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Wake up. And strengthen the things that remain which are about to die. Everything temporal will die. So it might look alive on the outside, but you see, external is not internal. And external is going to pass away. The internal work that he wants to do in us remains, no matter what. In fact, it grows. For I have not found your deeds completed in, my, in the sight of my God. Interesting, completed. He's the author and the finisher. There's a work that's not being done here. So remember what you have received and heard. The life is in what we receive, what we've heard and keep it and repent. Therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come like a, th a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come to you. It's very sobering, isn't it? The, the only people to whom Jesus' return is going to be like a thief are those that are asleep. He says that quite clearly. Because when we walk with him, we will know. When, when he is in us and we're walking and abiding in him, we will know. And he wants us in that place. He, doesn't, he desperately doesn't want us to be asleep. 
And he speaks this over and over again. You can see it in the parables of the, the virgins, the lack of preparation. I love what um, Mel shared out of um, Lamentations 1, 1 verse 9. She did not consider or seriously consider her future, therefore she had fallen astonishingly. So what we are hearing through this time, through this incredible uh, outlaying of the purpose of God that has happened through through this letter and through what has been downloaded is the key for us to become alive and awake. Are we hearing it? Is it changing us? Is our life radically different now to what it was? Because that's the goal, isn't it? It's not just to know some stuff and live the same. It's to be changed. And the the beautiful thing is that he does the changing. But we need to hear You know, going through this, just these verses has reminded me again of this booklet. Who has one of these? When's the last time you read it? Be a good idea to get it out again. Similar to Greg's book maybe, huh? Have a listen to some of these. I mean, I could have read the whole book. It goes with the scripture. Psalm 24, 7. Wake up, you sleepy-head church. Uh, city, sorry. Wake up, you sleepy-head people. The king of glory is ready to enter. He's not going to enter in this capacity if we're sleepy-headed and got our eyes down. Isaiah 54, 50, verse 4. The sovereign Lord has given me an instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. He awakens me morning by morning, awakens my ear to listen like one being taught. The Nesby beautifully uses the word disciple. Listen like a disciple. There's a a walking. There's There's a walking together. This Daily, daily feeding on him. So when we're waking up, what's the first thing that's in our head? Daniel 12.3, those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Mark Six, they preached with joyful urgency that life can be radically different. So is our life radically different? This this is it's challenging, it's challenged me this. This particular one, there was a cruise ship where people were eating, drinking, being merry, laughing, cruising. Then it changed to a landing ship, a military ship. There was an incredible sense of readiness and purpose 
and alertness. War. Everybody on board knew their task and were living for this purpose. We just need to allow the word to do its work, yeah? Because it's only in receiving his word and going after it that we will become this people he's speaking of. It doesn't just happen because we've heard it once. He's been screaming this. Wake up! His mother's love, his parents' love. Wake up. I have so much for you. He talks about new spiritual landscapes. Mel beautifully spoke about that. Life is like a whole different landscape. And it is when he's revealing this. It's like life is different, completely different. So we are awakened from something, we're awakened to something, so obviously. This changing from the inside out, this knowing why we are here, this purpose for being, the realisation that he's not just leaving us to try and get prepared for him, but he's given us everything we need. All these all this power that raised him from the dead, that dis- was displayed in that way, is at our disposal to overcome. He's removing the wrong thinking and bringing us into what has already been done, renewing our minds. I want to just skip to, might come back to some of this. Um, John 11. This is something he's really laid on my heart this week. <clears throat> John 11, you might just know it as the story about Lazarus being raised from the dead. I just want to have a look at it a little bit more clearly and in a bit more depth. Because I think it's a whole lot more than about a man being raised from the dead. So John 11, verse 1. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was the Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. So the sisters sent word to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. But when Jesus heard this, he said, This sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. 
Have a listen to this. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So, when he heard that he was sick, he then stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Interesting. See, love does something. Jesus wanted to demonstrate something and to reveal himself in such a way that not only these people that were crying out for help, but also his disciples and any of us that were to come would be unanchored from the earth. See, when we're anchored to the earth, everything happens in our world from what happens in our world. It starts with stuff that happens in our world. It's where everything's initiated. So it's about what's happening in our job, what's, how many th- commitments we have, those sort of things, the deadlines that we've got, the stress that we're under, that's our world. And he knows that he hasn't got that in mind for us, to be staying in that place. He's got something way bigger for us. And so he has to do some things to surprise us and shock us out of the normal Otherwise, we'll stay in that way of thinking the whole time. So it's, not, it's nothing to do with he didn't love them enough. It's actually because of love. Always is. So powerful, isn't it? He then goes in this little discussion. Um, he's, he's After two days, he's saying he's going to go to Judea. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews are just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? And listen to Jesus' answer. Are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, listen to this, because the light is not in him. See how this is way bigger than someone coming either from sickness to health or from dead to to life in the temporal sense? In this passage in Ephesians, he's talking repeatedly about our walking. We've, we've seen it. You can go and have a look if you like. Ephesians 2.10. Let's have a look at some of these things about our walking. This is all very saying the same thing. So Ephesians 2.10 
can't read the numbers here. Here we go. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so we would walk in them. You see how it's about the demonstration? It's always been about that. Ephesians 4.1, let's quickly zip there. <clears throat> Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. What's the calling? What's the calling? It's called a high calling. This is what we've been looking at in Ephesians. Verse 17 of the same chapter. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk. There should be a difference to your life in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God. Interesting. When he's, he's wanting to give us life and bring us into life. And Ephesians 5 has got three times. Verse 2 <clears throat> Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love, just as Christ also loved you. Christ's love. Verse 8. For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. And then later on in the verse we haven't quite read yet, 15, Therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise. And that word sometimes is, um, is translated as circumspect. And it comes from a, a word that means to point. It's about accuracy. How can we walk accurately if we don't know the finish line? We're going to walk around in circles, aren't we? Or we're going to create some kind of other finish line. How important is it that we hear this word and that we seek after it until it becomes a revelation that is completely, radically changing us, yeah? When, when Jesus... Has said there's not light in him. You see, the only way to walk in the day spiritually is that Christ is in us and that he is illuminating us. That's how Christ walked, that, that he was told by the Father what to do. So, in other words, he was walking illuminated. He was walking in the understanding and the revelation of the heavenly realm. Does that make sense? So he was walking, not everything starts in earth and we 
ask heaven to come and fix earth, but everything starts in the heavenly realm and dictates what happens here. Do you believe that is for us? He had a completely different inner realm. So he didn't respond just to things as they happen. You see this, I've already explored this so strongly through this whole thing of what he did during the storm and how he was asleep in a boat in the storm. That revelation has enabled me to walk through storms like that. That's what the life does. That's what he does. Because he doesn't go up and down and up and down. He never did. Even when he was tired. You know, it says he was tired and he he went to the well, Jacob's well. Did he somehow fall back into some religious comfort and I'm not going to talk to people that I don't normally talk to (laughs) no he broke completely out of that and talked to a, a lady and she was flabbergasted that this man was talking to him and she he bought who he is to her and said, if you knew the gift of God, if you knew the gift of God, that is for all of us, and who it is, you would ask. Not you would earn, you would ask. You would seek, you would knock, and what? He would give. Our asking, our seeking, and our knocking is part of what happens when we're hearing or even if we're not hearing but we so want to hear and we walk with people that are hearing and we keep asking and we keep knocking otherwise had I had I not been in this community and been with people that were seeing what I was not seeing I would never have come into anything of the life I'm so grateful, so grateful. And that's what would propel me to take every opportunity to be with those, to walk with those, to pray, to come into more and more, to come into the fullness as he describes it, not as I say, no, that's enough. Because it's about him, isn't it? Yeah? So he wants to build in us this same inner realm that he he lives from. It is fully possible, as we heard this morning. And he so wants us to, to know it that he wakes us up. 
Yeah? Mm-hmm. That's what the letters to the churches are all about. They're wake-up calls. Yeah? And they're wake-up calls of love. Don't ever, ever read them as, I'm hopeless and I'm completely out of the race now. I have failed. Please don't, because they're not said that way. They're said with love and they're said with a promise. If you look at the promises in each one of those letters, you will start to see that everything from him comes from a promise. It always comes from a promise. And if he promises, it's complete and it's yes and amen. Is that right? Yeah. So this, let's go back to John 11. So he's having this discussion about <clears throat> walking in the day. And then he gets there. And he's been in the tomb four days. And he has this interaction with both Martha and Mary. So interesting what Mary, Martha, thinks she believes. So Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And then she says, even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give it to you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. So she, she knows something. She believes that, that he will rise on the last day. And look how he reveals himself. Remember, when you're reading, look for the revelation of Christ. Because he builds his church on the revelation of Christ, right? So what's the revelation of Christ? I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? That sounds like double dutch, doesn't it? If you try and work that out in your head. You see, you can't receive the revelation of Christ through your head. You simply can't. We're not, we're not meant to. But we are by the Spirit. He just asks you, do you believe this? Will you trust me? Even if you can't see it, will you trust me? And she said, yes, Lord, I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. That's the revelation she has of him, yeah? And then she scuttles away and we have this, this interaction. And we have weeping and, and people saying, look how he loved him. I see weeping a few other times. There's weeping in Isaiah. There's weeping when Jesus goes into Jerusalem. 
is weeping because they didn't know the day of his visitation. He has so much for us. The weeping's not just, it's terrible that he's dead. Because he was going to be alive anyway, wasn't he? Yeah. The weeping is for what we won't come into if we don't receive him. We can get so hung up in what we think are the really important things, and yet he sees things so much greater than that, and they end up defining what we thought was important and putting it all in the right perspective. And, and, and we realise that we've actually been walking around upside down. So, literally living life upside down. Because our head's on the floor and that's all we can see. That's a sleepy-headed city, isn't it? A sleepy-headed people. They'll be the ones that their heads are right down and their chins are on their chest, right? So they're looking down. That's why it says, awake, arise. There's a change of posture. There's a change of sight. I love this bit. So he, he then says, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And then, you know, we have this thing about the weeping I've already spoken about. And then... <laughs> Being deeply moved, if you look up that word, that's more like anger than anything else. There's a troubling inside. And he says, remove the stone. Who's the first one to object to it? Martha. But she just said yes to him. Isn't this so like us? Yeah? Say, yes, Lord, I want your resurrection life in me. I want you to reveal it to me. Remove the stone. Rend your heart. No way! It's stinky in there. Is that not how we respond? There won't be life. We won't come into the life until we open up. Until we die, actually. And that, that's part of it, isn't it? We lose control. And that's, I think that's the sad thing, because we can hear this good news, but when it hits us, hits the rubber hits the road, and he's there knocking on our door, and saying, remove the stone, at that point we shrink back. See, at that point, we need to remember who he is and what he's promised and put our trust in him, even if we cannot understand. It takes that. That's the reason for the love, is to... Help us open. Mm-hmm. 
And then he cries out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. forth." And then this man comes out. He's fully alive, man. But he looks very odd. Mm Mm-hmm. Because he's covered with something that was meant to cover up and embalm him. Cause less of a smell to this death body that he was. You know, we can be covered by things that are trying to cover up the stinking sin. It's very similar to what the Lord spoke to me those years ago about Bartimaeus and his cloak. So he was a blind man who cried out, screamed out help to Jesus. And Jesus said, go and bring him in. And he threw off his cloak. And I was like, why is that even in there? It's the same concept. See, the cloak was covering him, protecting him in his old life, which was not where he was meant to be. It was his protection beside the road from all the donkey dung and the sniffing dogs, the rain. My stinking thinking had to come, it had to be thrown off. And it's the same with this. When Jesus said, remove, unbind him and let him go. Unbind him. These things do not belong to you. The way you have thought about yourself. For me, it was failure. Fear of failure. Huge disappointment in myself. Fear of man. They bound me. Oh, they bound me. Anxiety. Anger, so frustration. And I would go round and round and round the mountain trying to change myself and get rid of them. And I had to throw them off. So when we've got things that are binding, you know there was a a face cloth that was around him, he wouldn't have been able to see through this. Sometimes there's things that stops us seeing in the spirit. Unbelief will do that. Comparison will do that. When we're comparing ourselves with others, that will do it. It will blind us to the gift of God. He has so much for us. So in this process, the removing of the stone, the unbinding, it's messy. There's a stench. There's a process of losing control and surrendering. It's part of it. 
So what's our response to this? I think, you know, it's good to have a good old look at the fruit and ask him to show us, you know, And check on your hunger level. You know the the um, Syrophoenician woman that's in Matthew 15 and Mark 7? She talks about even the dogs are allowed the crumbs from under the children's table. Who owns a dog here? Not many of you. You need to come around to our house. So I took... Paris for a walk. <clears throat> Paris is our cavoodle. In this instance, I'd call her Snuffleupagus. I went and visited my son, um, who had both of our grandchildren at the table, and they were feeding them. Oh, Paris was in paradise. She went in there, and immediately it was no, 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 because the children had chucked. Food on the ground. Man, was she eager. Couldn't stop her. You know, and then she was like, are they going to drop something else? Are they going to drop something? Cheese has come out. Please, please, cheese is my favourite. You know, is our hunger like the dog or is it like the children? Um, Don't really care for that. Um, Throw that over. I mean, really? Are we hungry? Are we that hungry that we will reorganise our lives? We're so hungry. <laughs> that's what it takes, eh? So that's that's really where I want to leave it with the reminder of two things: the power of the ask that Greg talked about, Matthew seven seven and eight. Ask, and it will. Be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. These promises. He who is faithful will do. And Philippines 3, here's the heart of Paul again. 11 to 14, not that I have already obtained it or already have been made perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. He's laid hold of us for a specific reason. And the fullness of that is always been in his mind. There's never been a you can have a little bit of my purpose for you. It's always been all. Always been all.